Uh, we're grateful to this way to share the praises of the Lord Jesus Christ here in the house and to all the nations, right? And our message is this, there is no power like the great I am. I am, there is none beside him. And his power is amazing. There's none like it. And that power is on display. I want us to see that power on display this morning. You turn with me to the passage that James has read for us in Luke chapter 11. We're given just an insight, uh, the incredible power of the Lord Jesus Christ marshaled against the power of the awful enemy Satan and all of his minions. Now turn there, if you would, to Luke chapter 11. And if you've not been with us recently, uh, we are making a journey through this wonderful gospel. And the last few weeks, we have been focusing on how Jesus taught us to pray. And Luke chapter 11 begins as Jesus is asked by one of his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. Not that they never prayed, but they didn't pray like Jesus prayed. And Jesus taught them, led them into the amazing truth of God their Father. And when you know God is your Father, guess what? Your prayer life changes. <laughs> you pray differently when you're not just sending up I hopes and wishes to some unknowable, untouchable God. But when you know that you're talking to your Father, that changes everything. And so the Lord Jesus taught his disciples about that. But he also taught them in this model prayer a couple of requests that we certainly want to recognize this morning, even as we celebrate the power of the great I Am. They go together. Jesus taught in this model prayer that we should constantly be praying, if not these words, but this sentiment from our heart, that we should be praying, notice verse 4, lead us not into temptation. Now this does not mean that there's a possibility that holy God would lead us into sin. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is teaching is that we acknowledge in our prayers to the Father that we are prone to wander, right? We are so prone to temptation to go. We're tempted without and we're tempted from within. And so there's a recognition here when he says, pray, lead us not in temptation. There's a recognition of our spiritual weakness. But also, on another occasion, when Jesus was teaching this model of prayer, and evidently he taught it on a few occasions, we're told by Matthew that he also included in this prayer the request, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil, or literally, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. So Jesus, in teaching us to pray, wants us constantly to be mindful as we go to our Father of our spiritual weakness, but he also wants us to be ever mindful that there is around us spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. And here in this passage in Luke, to me, Jesus shares the most powerful and revealing truths of his entire ministry about spiritual warfare. The essence of what we regard as spiritual warfare is seen in this passage, and the essence of how we're to understand it, avoid it, and overcome it is also in this passage. Now, friends, as we begin, 
Let me tell you, there is nothing that Satan hates more than to have his cover blown. Because he's a liar. He's a father of all lies. And he wants us to believe the lie. Even the lie about spiritual warfare. And Jesus wants us to know the truth. But friends, we're no match for the devil. But our father is. <laughs> and we need to talk to him. Because the warfare, listen carefully my friends, is not just out there, it's right in here. It's right there where you're seated. And the warfare really is to keep us from even concentrating, thinking, focusing, placing ourselves in what Jesus has to say about warfare. So what is our recourse? What do we do? What did Jesus say to pray? So I want you to pray with me right now, would you? About the warfare in this moment. That every one of us, beginning with myself, would win the victory in Jesus. Oh God, our help in ages past. Our hope for years to come. Be with us now in this moment. Heavenly Father, we call you Father because you are our Father through Jesus. Help us to confess right now. To confess our spiritual weakness. To confess the spiritual warfare that rages around us and yes, rages within us. Oh Lord, you have brought us to this moment, not by accident, but by appointment. Oh Lord, grant to us the ability to hear what the Spirit is saying and respond by your grace through faith and obedience. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, on June 16th, 1958, rather, 1858, a couple of years before I was born, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln delivered a speech that, in a real sense, made him president of the United States. Now, he would not become president for another two and a half years, but in reality, it was this speech that made him president of the United States. And here is the environment of that speech. The Republicans of the state of Illinois had gathered to nominate their candidate to oppose the senator from Illinois, the Democratic senator from Illinois, Stephen Douglas, in the upcoming election for United States senator from Illinois. It would be held in November of 1858. And on that day, June 16, 1858, Lincoln was nominated as the Republican party candidate to stand against this powerful senator, Stephen Douglas. And so at the convention, in the final gathering, he delivered a message about the looming national crisis that was before our country, the crisis regarding slavery. And here's what Abraham Lincoln said in those introductory remarks about this crisis. He said, quote, A house divided against itself 
cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. Now Lincoln's speech from that moment on was remembered and is still remembered today as his house divided speech. And it was sent around the country making headlines. He was nominated and from that came the famous Lincoln-Douglas debates which again brought him as this prairie lawyer to national prominence. But what was Lincoln's point? Lincoln's point was that there are irreconcilable differences between slavery and freedom. And that there was an unavoidable crisis that this could not endure. It was a great speech and a great statement when he said, the house divided against itself cannot stand. But I hope you know now, especially since the reading that James just gave us, that the source of that quote was not Abraham Lincoln. But it was a descendant of Abraham. <laughs> the Abraham of the Bible, Jesus Christ, who himself is the great emancipator. The great emancipator is the son of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Now, my friends, I want you to understand there exists, there exists an irrepressible conflict. It is going on. It cannot be stopped. It is irrepressible. And it is kingdom conflict. It is kingdom warfare. And that's what I want us to think about for a few moments from what Jesus says here. To understand that warfare, spiritual warfare exists and you, yes, you, are in the conflict. In many ways, you are all about the conflict. There is no neutrality possible in this conflict. There's no avoiding it. And in fact, your life on earth, listen to me, your life on earth and your life for all eternity are in the balances in this conflict. In the balance right now. See, it's not in the balance when you stand before God and then he's going to decide your eternal fate. No, no, my friend. The balance is right now. One side or the other. Now, I want you to see something here. That Jesus, first of all, declares openly the existence of spiritual warfare. There are many people and many people who call themselves Christians that don't really believe in spiritual warfare. And I want you to know Jesus believed in it. And he declared the existence of it. Notice what is said here in verse 14. It says that he was casting out a demon. He had cast out hundreds by this time. He's casting out a demon and this demon was mute. Meaning that the demon's oppression of this man had caused him to be unable to speak. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is, has been talking about prayer. And here's a man who can't speak at all. He's under the oppression of the enemy. But Jesus cast out this demon and it says the people marveled. They marveled. Now here we have an example of spiritual warfare. It's, it's pitiful and it's powerful at the same time. It's pitiful. Here you see this poor man who under the dominion of Demonic oppression. Not only is he afflicted spiritually, afflicted in his mind, but because of it, he is incapable of speaking. But then we have a powerful, powerful demonstration 
of Jesus Christ and his power in spiritual warfare because he cast the demon out. He cast the demon out. And I'm just thinking, can you imagine the praises that came out of this man's mouth? I mean, he had not been able to speak a word, and you know what the first words he spoke were. They were praises to the Lord God. And so here's this man. He's just praising God and praising God. But in this situation, we see in this encounter the the truth about spiritual warfare. It really exists. It doesn't always manifest itself this way. As a matter of fact, rarely the spiritual warfare manifests itself this dramatically. But I want you to understand a couple of things about spiritual warfare. First of all, spiritual warfare is not the battle of good versus evil. It's not the battle of good versus evil. There is a pagan and ancient philosophy that's called dualism. Dualism. And it's been around from time immemorial. And dualism taught that there's a dual reality of force in the universe. And that there is a light side of this force and there is a dark side, a darkness in this force. And this force is ever-present in the world. Now, many of you are way ahead of me. The modern movie expression of this is what? Star Wars, the force. Don't expect me to speak like Yoda. I'm not going to do it. No, it's pretty good imitation. That there's a light side of the force and that there's a dark side of the force. That runs through all of those movies. And friends, I want you to know something this morning. Mark it down. The force is a farce. There is only one all-supreme force in the universe, and that all-supreme force is the power of the sovereign God of heaven and earth. That's the only all-supreme force there is. So the idea that there are two equal forces, good and evil, vying against each other, that is completely not the message of God's word. It's not reality. But, there does exist a star war. A star war. And it is a war between the bright and morning star, our Savior, and that diabolical fallen Lucifer, which means light bearer, Satan. There is a war between our Savior and Satan. But praise God, friends, listen carefully. The war has been won. Our star has won the war. He said it is finished. And he crushed the head of the serpent at the cross. And he triumphed over him openly in rising from the dead. Satan is defeated. But listen carefully, he's not yet destroyed. He's not yet destroyed, and he still rages against God. His cause is hopeless. He's been crushed by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But he still rages in his death throes against God and against God's image bearer. So who is it that Satan hates? He hates all the image bearers of God. Human beings that are made in his image. He and all of his forces, demonic spirits who were cast out of heaven with him in his great rebellion eons ago. They hate the image bearers of God. They have since the first image bearers of Adam and Eve. And what is Satan's plan? His Satan plan for the unsaved image bearers? 
His plan for the unsaved image bearers is to deceive them. To defile their lives by making them more rebellious against God. To detain them in that sin. And ultimately to destroy their souls. An eternal separation from God. That's what Satan wants. Perish from your thoughts the idea that Satan will give you a good time. Ride with the devil for a while. Walk with on the wild side for a while. Joy life. Yeah, it is deception, defilement, detainment, and destruction. And he can make it feel real good. There is pleasure in sin for a season. But my friend, listen, there's payday someday. What's his plan for Christians who are image bearers? Those who have been saved by faith in Jesus. What's his plan for those who have Christ in their hearts? To disqualify them. To keep them from being effective. To keep them from understanding who I am in the great I am. And to live out the faith. To live out the life of Christ in this world. He wants them disqualified. But in Christ, praise God, there's victory. There's victory. Now where is the battleground? In spiritual warfare, where's the battleground? The battleground is in the mind. Never forget this. It's in the mind. As a man thinks in his heart, that's what he is, what Jesus said. You'll never live above the level of your thoughts. You will live out what you think. So that's where the battle is. It's in the mind. And you want to see in our text how Jesus gives for our minds an evaluation of spiritual warfare. He wants us to understand what spiritual warfare is all about. He wants us to evaluate it wisely. Now notice how many in the crowd evaluated this amazing deliverance. It's unquestionable. The man was demon-possessed. He was in agonies. He could not speak. Jesus has spoken to the demon. The demon has come out. Now the man is praising God. You can't deny that a miracle has happened. <laughs> can you? Well, sure you can. If your mind is set against God. Verse 15, but some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept saying from him, seeking from him rather, a sign from heaven. Now there are two kinds of responses, but they're responses of unbelief. This is how they're connected. They're different responses to what Jesus has done, but they both have a common denominator. They're rooted in unbelief. Number one, there was a first group that demanded heavenly signs. <laughs> oh, they weren't satisfied with earthly signs. Signs right in front of them. No, no, do something in the heavens. It's just unbelief. But there were others. Even more malicious, who not only were just demanding signs, they were defaming the heavenly signs that Jesus had carried out. Friends, this is a heavenly sign. When a man who is mute because of a demon is delivered and is praising God, how are you going to explain that? You can't deny it. So, in their hatred of Jesus, they defame Jesus' signs by saying, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. They could not deny Jesus' power. They couldn't. They couldn't deny His power. He's powerful. So what they did was defame Him and say, Where does this power come from? These are religious people saying this. 
This is not the Romans. This is not the pagans. These are the religious leaders of Israel who are attributing to their Messiah, the Messiah of Israel, that his power is vested in the power of Satan. They attributed his works to Satan. They said he casts out demons by Beelzebul. Now, Beelzebul comes from a Hebrew expression, Baal-zevav, and it means Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. Now, where in the world did the idea of Lord of the Flies come from? Baal-zevav. It came from the Hebrews back in the early days of Israel who mocked the gods of the Philistines. One of their primary gods they referred to as Baal-zevav, which meant Lord of the exalted house. Lord of the exalted house. And the Hebrews said, he's not Beelzebul, he's Beelzebub. He's Lord of the flies. And you can take it where flies usually buzz around, okay? That's what we think of your God. <laughs> you got to appreciate their attitude. So over the centuries, Beelzebul or Beelzebul, as it became known, was a term used for the Lord of the demons. The Lord of the demons, meaning Satan. So how does Jesus respond to such blasphemy? How does he respond to this defamation? Well, he does something brilliant, I want you to see. He brilliantly evaluates their evaluation. <laughs> He, he turns their argument against him. You don't want to get in a debate with Jesus Christ. So notice what he says. Number one, what you're saying is illogical. Illogical. Look at verses 17 and 18. But he, knowing their thoughts, isn't that something? They didn't even have to say the word. He knows, and he knows now. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. A divided household falls. And if Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. There it is. Simple, brilliant, irrefutable. No kingdom can stand when it turns against itself. He says, how can you possibly think that I would overcome, as I have just done, Satan's kingdom by the power of Satan? Completely illogical. But then his next brilliant move is he shows that they are completely inconsistent. Not just completely illogical, they're completely inconsistent. Verse 19, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? <laughs> Therefore, they will be your judges. Now what does sons here mean? It means sons of Israel. It means those who are of Israel who are religious leaders <laughs> he's saying so if it has been proven your own religious leaders have had power over the demons to cast them out if you accuse me you've got to accuse your own who've done the same thing they're completely inconsistent you see my friend unbelief never makes sense it's illogical and it's inconsistent. But here's the terrible result of unbelief. Jesus says by their willful unbelief, they are incapable of seeing the truth. They would not see, therefore they could not see. Verse 20. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast demons, then 
the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, if you want a great Bible study, just do a study on the finger of God. The finger of God. Jesus here is quoting, though, from the statement of Pharaoh's magician who could not imitate, they could not replicate the mighty works of Moses and Aaron, and they declared, this is the finger of God. And here is Jesus saying, you are saying exactly what the pagan, demon-possessed magicians said in Pharaoh's day against Moses and against Aaron. You are blaspheming, you're not believing. And then he says, by effect, you actually don't have as much faith as the magicians of Pharaoh. At least they would acknowledge the finger of God. But because you cannot see the finger of God, you don't understand this moment of your visitation. The kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom is here because the king is here. And this hour of your great opportunity is the hour of your doom because in your willful unbelief, you will not believe in me. You will not come to me. He says the kingdom is at work right in your midst and you're blind to it. Friends, this is what was happening in Jesus' day. So carefully listen to me. Don't get angry. Don't be surprised. Don't be dismayed when it happens in our day. It's only by the grace of God that we came out of our unbelief, right? And so today, what's happening? God is at work. No one can deny the works of God. No one can deny the changed lives. No one can deny the power of Christ at work unless they choose unbelief and defamement and call it superstition or worse. There's blindness. And that leads Jesus to teach them the explanation of spiritual warfare. Now, Jesus now teaches what happens in spiritual warfare. And he does so, first of all, verses 21 and 22, by saying this. He says, this is what's happening. This is what's just happened. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, and you might want to know here, the word palace here is literally courtyard, courtyard. He's guarding his house. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and he divides his spoil. Now, here are two men Jesus is using as an illustration. He's telling a story. This is an allegory. He says, there is the strong man, verse 21, who's armed and he's protecting his stuff. In the context here of this, what Jesus is saying, who is the strong man? The strong man here is Satan. He's Satan. Now, I just want to say just an aside here. I've seen some well-intentioned people have bumper stickers on their car or put statements out on their Facebook page citing this verse of Scripture as a reason to... Uh, defend the right to bear arms. And I'm not arguing with the right to bear arms, but I just want you to know I wouldn't quote this verse because you're comparing yourself to saying, Satan. I'm just saying. You might not want to do that. Okay? Might want to think that through. The strong man here is Satan, and he is guarding his stuff, and his stuff. It's his kingdom authority in people's lives. But now comes a stronger man. <laughs> Who's the stronger man? Who's stronger than Satan? 
the Savior, Jesus Christ. How do we know that this is true? Exhibit A. This demon-possessed man previously who hasn't stopped running around us right now and hasn't stopped having a praise service to the Lord God who hasn't stopped thanking me, he might just be evidence that God is stronger than the devil. A stronger man has come. He's overcome the oppressor. He sets free those who are his captive. That's what he does. He's canceled the debt on the behalf of the people he came to rescue. And he set them free. Now that's something to sing about, isn't it? I want you to listen to someone sing about it right now. In our student ministries, the young people are studying the same passage that is being shared here on Sunday mornings. They're studying the same passage. And my friend Max Hortswood, one of our high school students, was reading and meditating on this passage. And God touched his heart about it. And he was impressed to put the thoughts on his heart to music and to celebrate our strong man. And I want you to join as he celebrates that. Bind up the strong man and disarm his defense, expose his pretense as a lie. Bind up the strong man and whatever you find, divide all the spoils for the children. You receive this command. From your father on high And no man will stay the hand That brings the dead back to life Cast out the darkness Where the demons reside Suppressing the freedom of light and restore unto man a mind to understand his creator. You receive this command from your father on high. And no man will suffocate the voice of God revealed in Christ. Your work speaks for itself. Your love speaks for itself. Your life speaks for itself. Your work speaks for itself, your love speaks for itself, your life speaks for itself. Your work speaks for itself, your love speaks for itself, your life speaks for itself. Your work speaks for itself, your love speaks for itself, your life speaks for itself. Hell defeated, cross completed, Christ is seated on the throne. Grace triumphant, free from judgment. He is Lord of all. Bind up the strong man and disarm his defense, expose his pretense as a lie. God's people said. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That was wonderful. The only thing I'm concerned about is that's all that some people will remember this whole service right here. They won't remember, remember that song. That was awesome. Thank you so much.
Max Atlas. I love that song. And when he, he shared that with Doug, Doug brought it to me and the words. I love it because it's a song of faith. It, it's a song of the Lord's truth and it claims victory. But victory in Jesus Christ. Victory over fear. Friends, I want you to know as we talk about spiritual warfare, the enemy has been defeated by the stronger man. He's the stronger man, our Lord Jesus. And don't allow your thoughts of spiritual warfare to cause you to live in faithless fear. My friends, there are tens of thousands of Christians who in this season are living in faithless fear. Dear friends, we don't deny what a wicked age in which we live. We don't deny the, the terrible forces that are at work in many different ways. But friends, let's never think for a moment that the Holy Trinity has gathered in emergency session. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not saying, what are we going to do about this? The battle of spiritual warfare is on, yes, and we're aware of that, and we're prone to weakness, and we need to understand the warfare, but we don't live in fear. Therefore, how are we liberated to live? Listen carefully, in love. If you live in fear, you won't live in love. Because if you live in fear, you won't love your neighbor as you love yourself. You won't love with the love of God. You'll get it in your mind that someone you work with or some house in your neighborhood, somehow a demon could get off of them and get onto you. And next thing you know, you're going to live in your Christian bubble. I call it a holy huddle. And forget what Jesus said. <laughs> you are in the world. I want you in the world, but you're not of the world. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And when you know that, you're free to live in faith. And what does that mean? Demanding your rights? Does that mean making yourself a nuisance? Does that mean going out in anger on Facebook and social media? No, it means you're free to love. You're not afraid of a false god. There's only one god. You're not afraid of the spiritual forces that might be at work. The Bible says you humble yourself in the sight of God. You humble yourself in the sight of God. Then you resist the devil and what? He flees from you. He's not afraid of you or me. But he is mighty afraid of the one who lives in us. And we're free. To live in love. Now, here's the explanation quickly. The explanation of spiritual warfare. Jesus shares a powerful explanation. And then, having shared that explanation, he gives this exhortation. This is what's happening. Strong man, stronger man. <laughs> and now he says, since there is a stronger man and the stronger man is me. Here's the exhortation. Verse 23. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me is not in my work, is scattering, is tearing down my work. What is King Jesus saying? No neutrality. There's no neutrality. No one is Switzerland. Neutrality is a deception of the enemy. Even thinking, even thinking that, well, you know, you just haven't made up your mind yet. You're thinking about Christ and you're thinking about, you know, living for self. And, you know, you understand there's a power of evil and there's a power of the Lord. I, I just haven't decided yet. I, I'm kind of neutral. Jesus says you're not neutral. If you're not for me, the the stronger one, then in warfare, he says, you are against me. Jesus draws a line in the sand. So some people don't like hard lines. But you can't erase this line. 
It's drawn by Jesus. He says, you're either with me or you're against me. There's no middle ground. So friend, here's the question. Where do you stand today? You are either standing with Jesus, actively with Jesus, seeking to be a part of His kingdom work on this earth, or you are standing against Him and you are bringing down and bringing hindrance to His work. Where do you stand today? Friends, listen carefully. We are either gathering people to Jesus or we're driving them away. So the question is, will you choose his side? Today, today, right now, this moment, regardless of what's gone before, don't go back to the past. You have this moment. Don't run to the future. You're no, not promised another. Right now, will you say, because of the love and power and might and grace of the stronger man, Jesus, who undertook for me to deliver me from the power of the enemy, I stand with Jesus. I stand with Jesus. I am for Jesus. And with the grace of God, by living out love in Christ, I will continually try, with God's help, to stand and walk for Jesus. To be known as one who's with Jesus. I do, for His glory, want to be one of those people that others take note of them, like the apostles, that they have what? Been with Jesus. If a person lives in the great deception of neutrality, friends, listen. Now, if you have drifted away, I'm imploring you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to focus what I'm about to say for the next just two or three minutes. If right now, you are living in neutrality. You are living in great de deception. But you are living in the gravest danger imaginable. You cannot imagine the grave danger that you are in if you are neutral about Jesus. Listen to this expose that Jesus gives regarding spiritual warfare. Verse 24, listen carefully. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. What's that mean? It means when a demon goes out, whether cast out or whether on its own, to not inhabit a person is like desert, waterless desert. And finding no other place, it says, I will return to my house for which I came. Now, Jesus here is using an, an analogy. It's a, it's a parable, but the truth is here. This is not myth. This is true. When it comes, it finds the house. That is, the house here being a person. And it finds the house swept and put in order. What does that mean? Oh, the person has reformed his life. The, the person has cleaned himself up or herself up some. Uh, the person has decided to do better. To just tidy things up in their life and not be as bad as they have been. And... The demon comes back and sees that the house has been cleaned up and says, well, guess what? There's room for more of my friends. 
it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself and they enter and dwell there and the last state of that person is worse than the first. Listen carefully. Jesus, in this context, what is he talking about? He's talking about the desperate condition and danger of people who are only religious. The person who cleans up his house, the, the, the person who cleans up her life some, is a religious person. But guess what? The demonic spirits aren't afraid of religion. As a matter of fact, it, it, religion to demons is like a flashing vacancy sign in a hotel. Oh! Here is someone who has decided to straighten up some of the things in their life and just, you know, work on their bad habits. What an opportunity here. I love what the president of Wheaton College said, formerly pastor of the 10th Street Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Philip Riken. He said this, listen carefully, it's on the screen. Listen, <laughs> moral reformation without spiritual regeneration even leads to de demonic domination. Moral reformation, you're just going to clean your life up. But there's no regeneration, that means you're not changed on the inside. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to live in your heart, you're not born again. It only leads to demonic domination. My friends, listen. Church-going people who are trying Sunday to Sunday to just reform their life are in terrible, terrible deception and in the gravest danger of demonic oppression and destruction. My dear friends, listen to me. I'm telling you, through years and years and years and years of personal experience with this, you're just coming to church and you're just wanting to clean up your life is not going to make you immune. From the terrible, terrible virus of demonic attack and domination. But praise God, listen carefully. What's the wonderful good news? <laughs> the good news is the gospel. You see, religion teaches reformation. You work on yourself. You, you be the best you you can be. Oh, friend, the best you you can be, the Bible says, is still filthy and vile in the presence of the Holy One. But in Christ, in Christ, the gospel, the good news is you can stop trying to clean yourself up to earn favor with God because a stronger man, the strongest man, the God-man, Jesus, has come to undertake your cause. He went to the cross in your place to take the punishment for your rebellion. His blood was shed to cover you of all your sins, to wash them away and carry them away. His righteousness is offered to be put into your very life. And that He has promised that if you will come to Him, not only will He save your soul for eternity, He will begin to inhabit you right now on earth by the Holy Spirit. And you're not going to live hoping you get to heaven, hoping that you are a little better in the balance 
your goodness than your sins. No, you live knowing that Christ lives in you. That you are without any merit to offer to him. But of his own free sovereign grace, he has come to save you. And it's a free gift to all who will believe in him. This is the gospel. And when the demons see that, that's like no vacancy. Savior occupied. No demons moving in where Jesus has moved in. I began with the words of Abraham Lincoln's house divided speech. Here's what he went on to say. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect it to fall. But I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all of one thing or all of the other. My friend, the same is true of you. You will become all of one thing or all of the other. You will be all of salvation through Christ. Or you'll be all of lost and without hope. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. Where do you stand today? Don't compare yourself to where others stand. That's between them and God. Where do you stand? Will you stand with the stronger man? Will you stand and be all for Jesus? While you live, will you live all for Jesus? Could you just live and will you live by this today? I'm weak, I'm vulnerable, but Lord, hear my prayer, hear my confession, and Satan, listen in wherever you are, I'm all for Jesus. Where do you stand today? Let's bow our heads. We need him. Friend, we don't need religion, we need a redeemer. We don't need something that we work out. We need someone that's worked into us. We need someone to come and live within us. Friends, listen, we need him. Now, our heads are bowed. When's the last time you've just told the Lord, I desperately need you. And Lord, I need you to stand with you and be for you. I believe. Help my unbelief. Would you this morning say, as a couple, we're all for Jesus? Would, would one in the marriage say, I can't control the other one, but as for me, I'm all for Jesus? Would some students just say here, I'm all for Jesus. I, I, today, I, I'm all for Jesus. This is a moment that will change your life. And dear friend, open your heart. Call upon the name of the Lord. You will be saved. Are you free to love? Some of us are living in fear. And that fear is making us angry. And that anger is coming out. And that fear is keeping us from reaching out. We can't do this without Him. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. 
Lord, I need, need you. He will not turn away from that prayer right now. We're going to sing, but make it your prayer. And if you want to kneel where you are there, if possible, or in here, or maybe some would like just to come and pray here at the front, I invite you to do that. Lord, I need you. Maybe it's about a specific issue, situation. I need you. Maybe it's just the control of your life. Lord, I need you. Lord Jesus, work, we pray. As your people call upon you, thank you. You hear and answer. Bring power, assurance, forgiveness, deliverance. Lord, help us to take our stand with you. In your name, amen.